0: Welcome to the Cooza cast, where we interview some of the most influential people in tourism from around the world. My name is Graham Watson, and I'm the founder of CUSA Global. The word CUSA means a new dawn, and in 2023, we want to find out just how our guests are working towards that new dawn. Join us and subscribe to future episodes as we hope to inspire you with stories of strength and resilience in the tourism industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Kooza Cast. Today, I am talking to Monica Yule, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of Westgro. Monica and I have known each other for many years. We've we've uh, come across each other in various parts of the world at trade events. Uh, Monica has been in the industry since the mid nineties and worked her way up in various different positions. Um, so, welcome, welcome, Monica.
1: Thanks, Graham. Thanks very much. Just to be clear, I'm the chief destination marketing officer at Westgrow. So, just okay, to be, yeah. we have a chief communications and marketing officer sitting here as well. So we don't want to be confused. All right, perfect. <laughs> so well, I look after all things tourism at Westgrow.
0: Perfect. Thanks. Thanks for clearing yeah. that up, Monica. So, yeah. um, just just uh, bev- while we kick off, just ha- just mm-hmm. tell the listeners a bit more about yourself and. Your background, how you got into tourism—just just a brief overview of of your career so far. Um,
1: as you've already said, I've been in tourism for since the mid '90s. So I don't know how brief. <laughs> I'm I'm capable of being after a 30-year history. Um, But I guess maybe to start from the top, I was living in Berlin in the mid-90s and came across a tour operator that was specializing in Southern Africa and Australia and New Zealand called Jetstream. Um, And I actually used them to book my holiday back to South Africa to visit my folks. And on one of the occasions when I went in there to book, I was chatting to the general manager and she said to me, there's an opening in the team for an apprentice and in Germany you do blended learning so you do school and practical work simultaneously so after two and a half years I had a tourism qualification and I had two and a half years of work experience so it was a real sort of winner um, it's just as an aside that I do hope that we in this country also contemplate at some point that there are some technical jobs that you don't have to go to varsity for. If you can get practical on the job experience whilst also acquiring the theory at the same time, I think that's a great solution, particularly for tourism. Anyway, sidebar, um, the, the, the journey then took me back to South Africa because I was a German speaking, um, tourism professional. And obviously back in the nineties, we were benefiting from that Madiba dividend. We were all booming in terms of tourism for the first time ever. Um, and so yeah, so I came back to South Africa then one, because I wanted to come back home and two, because I wanted to see how well I could do in that industry in Southern Africa. And then really just sort of spent the first 15 years of my career in the private sector, um, culminating in 13 years at Tourvest destination management, where my last role was sales and marketing director for what was then called your Africa, which has now been amalgamated into sense of Africa. And then I left TourVest to go to South African tourism. So I went into the public sector for four years and did international marketing. I looked after, in the ultimate two years there, looked after the um, 11 country offices that SA Tourism then had off the African continent, which uh, made for an interesting work day because when you woke up in the morning, the Australians were about to go home. And when you, when you wanted to go home in the afternoon, the North Americans and the Brazilians were just warming up. That was always fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've all but, um, deal with that
0: in this business.
1: Yeah. 100% <laughs> office hours. What is that? Anyway, but it was a fantastic um, learning experience for me. I was very lucky to be able to also travel to all of these fantastic destinations and source markets for us. Um, and it really sort of put me on a completely different trajectory in terms of my career. And then the opportunity back in the private sector opened up to become CEO of private safaris here in Cape Town. Um, which was a is a um, DMC that looks after Southern Africa with an office in Cape Town and another one in uh, Bintok. and so I ran private safaris for five years, and then in the middle of the pandemic, Tim Harris came to me, who was then the CEO of Westro. And said to me, this tourism recovery work that you've been doing together with Satsa and Natalia and Cindy Sheedy Walker and Rob Moore and all of those guys, I want you to please come and um, help the tourism industry in the Western Cape recover from this pandemic. And it took him a long time because I really was very loyal and very emotionally attached to my team at Private Safaris, but he did manage to get it right. And so in 2021, early 2021, I moved from the private sector back into quasi-public sector. Westgro is the um, official tourism trade and investment promotion agency for the Western Cape, which means that the lion's share of our funding comes from the Western Cape government as well as the city of Cape Town. But we are by design, uh, we have a Westgro Act in the province, and by design, we are built to be... Business-facing, um, and have the unique opportunity to provide a linkage between government and private sector. So our board, as an example, is all pulled in from the private sector, um, and they're an independent board, um, which makes it very um, makes us very agile and makes us very
0: responsive to business. Wow, that's quite uh, quite an impressive CV Joel uh, <laughs> that you have there. Uh, I mean. In in thirty years, what what do you think? Um, obviously, it's been a roller coaster. I think anyone who's been in any industry for 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 that long, there, there's ups and downs. What what do you think was one thing? Does anything stick out in your mind that you that you didn't expect or or came as a surprise to you? Um, that kind of put you on a different path, or or, or kept you on the same path? Just just um, yeah, just something that 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 you didn't expect mm. to happen. That was for, for the positive?
1: Sure. Um, I think the first major sort of milestone, certainly for me professionally, but I think also for the destination was the FIFA World Cup in 2010. Oh. Um, I think that completely changed the game for the destination. I mean, I was lucky enough to be working at Tourvest at the time and they obviously had a massive um, operation running through the World Cup. I mean, they had um, sponsor contracts from across the world bp coca-cola they had the dutch soccer team fans and operations that they were running logistics for i mean we were running my husband chris was a stadium manager for the gauteng stadium so he spent his day getting coaches parking at um soccer city and in pretoria and in joburg and i spent the mornings dispatching drivers and buses to the various locations to try and get people moved around so it was just for myself it was a very epic experience and really a demonstration of um you know the old Nelson Mandela adage of you always believe it's impossible until it's done you know when we heard Martin Wies talking about the world cup before it happened we all thought he was smoking something really good um, <laughs> and then when we and then when we pulled it off it was just incredible you know and I think you know it. It also did something for the nation, but it and it did something for the destination. You know, I think that for years after that, the destination still benefited from having been beamed into households across the world, and really have some sense of familiarity with our source markets, having been built around the destination, and debunked a lot of those safety and security myths and bad reputation that we we have earned for some reason. Um, so that's the, that's the positive surprise. If I may talk about a negative surprise for a minute, if that's allowed. So the big negative surprise that I got was in the midst of this pandemic when we were doing all that red list lobbying. Um, it was, it was just deeply surprising to me how the first world had this real, I call it Afro pessimism. Mm. So there was this real, Sense that we got throughout the lobbying process, and, it, and I don't want to single out any particular country, in any particular diplomatic corps or scientist group or whatever, but literally across the first world, there was this constant sense that we would get, based on the decisions that were being made, that they truly felt like nothing good could possibly come from us. You know, there was this: it's impossible that our data is right. It's impossible that we could have just found something first that perhaps is already everywhere in the world. It's impossible that our health and safety protocols are stringent enough for their tourists to be safe when they come here. It was just, it was such a prevailing and such a prevalent bias um, that I had, it, it, it was illuminating in that it made me understand that our reputation management challenge is far greater than we ever expected. It's not actually about The bad media reports. It's about the fact that it confirms the negative bias that they already have, Mm. Um, um, and so that was a negative surprise to me to realise that even after all these years and after all this time, um, and after and even with so many people being pro South Africa and being pro Africa, there's still this real patronising attitude in some of the institutions across the world that sort of feel that. You know, like I said, nothing but good could possibly come from here. You
0: know, yeah, yeah. Well, it's an interesting term, Afro pessimism. It's mm. uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that kind of just sums it up. I think most of us in the the tourism industry do do feel that. You know, it it seems that uh, major issues can happen in another part of the world. But the moment a similar or even lesser issue happens in Africa, then there's travel bans and and all that kind of stuff. So that's uh, yeah, that's that's a legacy problem that. We hope we can all work towards to to change that. I think as as things like this, as podcasts, as as you know, as social media gets even more uh, better and and sort of omnipresent in the world, let's hope that th- there's a lot that can be done to debunk debunk those those myths. So yeah. what what in the past, like three years, what what would you say the pandemic taught you? professionally personally and what do you think the the biggest challenge to to the industry was i mean of course the job losses but mm. do you think there's yeah you know, what what do you does anything stand out for you as like the one, one of the biggest challenges that the industry faced during during that that time
1: i mean i think the biggest challenge that the industry has always faced and it was certainly one of the cornerstones of our sort of lobbying efforts in the pandemic we've always been seen as fluffy and non-essential to use the word out of the COVID pandemic playbook, mm. you know, non-essential travel was not allowed, you know, and, 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 you know, that's obviously you're, you're, viewing, therefore you're viewing an entire industry through the lens of the consumer and not through the lens of the industry, you mm. know, you cause non-essential for whom,
0: yeah. Right. right. Yeah, yeah.
1: So so um and and so so we've always labored under that. I do think that one of the unexpected upsides I'm just speaking from the Western Cape angle now but one of the yeah. unexpected upsides is that the entire country painfully felt what tourism actually does for the economy. Yeah. When they what didn't have the,
0: What are the stats? Now, it's about it's a huge proportion, isn't it? Um, I don't know if we know off the top of our heads but <laughs>
1: It's also, it's so difficult to track, Graham. I think that you, once you move away from the direct contribution. So if you're not counting direct industry brands and direct industry forex and direct industry employment, the, you know, the thing is that tourism is an apex industry. Yeah. You know, it, 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 and you saw it here in Cape Town. I mean, when we didn't have tourists here, there were no flower vendors on St. George's Mall. Yeah you know when when there's when we didn't have international tourists here then the test kitchen closed
0: yeah there was so there so many knock on effects uh, taxis you know e- everything um, yeah, yeah restaurants. 100% yeah yeah
1: and so that's the thing. So, and i think that you i would challenge anyone to be able to get their arms around what tourism actually does which economies in a place it actually stimulates because mm. it is just so broad. It's like, you know, so if you, so as an example, if you, if you, if a hotel is is operational and draws its staff from a particular part of the city, that the lady sitting at the corner selling Fed Cook will be able to benefit from when the times when those guys go to work. When that hotel is closed, the lady with the Fed Cook doesn't make a trade. Mm. You know, who, me- who measures that stuff? I think it's incredibly difficult, but I think that subjectively, Important people and decision makers, certainly in this province, and I think also in the in the in the country, have really firsthand experienced what it does to an economy when you do not have a robust tourism industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's been a unexpected, almost positive that, that that we don't have to fight as hard anymore to make sure that people understand that we're important. You know, I think going into the pandemic was much harder than it is now.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, let's let's hope so. There does seem to be, I mean, there does whether it's I think it's a a psychological thing, but I think twenty twenty three, the new year, um, there does seem to be a far more positive positive upswing. I think, you know, as I've said to so many people, it will hopefully be the first year since twenty, well, I mean twenty eighteen almost, where there has been unrestricted travel. Um, So it's it's you know let's let's hope it all. It all carries through. I think a lot of people are pinning their their um, their kind of businesses on what happens this year. So, yeah, yeah so let's uh, look.
1: But, I mean, we mustn't ignore the the signs that are out there in terms of how we now, now need to be responsive as, as an industry. You know, I think that the, the consumers that we, by and large, derive our um, income from have been changed quite substantially by the pandemic, and I think – you know, any business that isn't able to respond in some way to the requirement around sustainability for both people and planet. Um products that aren't able to respond in some way to to people that just really want to unplug. You know, I think there's there's trends that are happening globally now in terms of what the consumer is looking for that we have to respond to as an industry and as a destination. Um, particularly because South Africa in totality, but certainly the Western Cape Town and the Western Cape in particular, we're an end destination and we're really far. You know, it's a lot of carbon emissions. You know, there's a lot of um, concerns around all that sort of stuff. So we have to make sure that we can demonstrate that coming to our destination does good. Yeah. You know? So that's do a really you, key
0: consideration. Do you think that if I had to ask you what's the one, what do you think still needs to change in order for the industry to to really get a boost and go forward do you think it's yeah you know, focusing on that sustainable tourism what what's the one thing that you think we you know we've all done well to get to this point but we just mm-hmm. need something a bit extra what what do you think that is
1: honestly i think that we haven't done enough and i'm including myself in this i don't think we've done enough To raise the game of the smaller experience operators and the smaller, um, the SME, um, layer of the, of the industry. Because I think that's where the secret sauce is now. You know, people want authenticity. They don't want prefabricated bubble holidays. They want to really immerse. They want to get away from it all. They want a real, true, authentic local experience. Um, which is what these small operators and these small guest houses and things can offer, you know. And and I think that what we haven't done sufficiently, maybe because we all just get so eye rolly when it becomes political agenda, but I don't think that we as an industry have managed su- sufficiently to make that layer of product market ready. You know, I don't think that we found the right ways to give these people market access, and I don't think that we've sufficiently packaged those experiences to make sure that you know it it it, it becomes something that the international traveler appreciates and finds desirable.
0: Yeah. And there's so many, so many products out there. And uh, there's a lot of good work going on uh, to, to help the SMEs. But as that, that's, that was the answer to the question that, that still needs to change. We need to all focus on, on helping.
1: I mean, sorry to interrupt, but I think that the, the point is a different one, right? It's not about helping them. You know, it's not about helping them. It's about, they are the future, they yeah. are what the consumer is looking for. We need to find a way to, to include them in in the, in the in the ecosystem because otherwise we're going to miss a trick.
0: Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Good point. That's that'll be one of the, the key takeaways I think from from our discussion. So just mm. uh, just on you on you personally. So let's talk about Monica Monica Yule. What is what do you think your most productive time of day is for, for you personally?
1: It depends on what on for what. So I do my best thinking in the mornings, and I do my best admin in the afternoon. So I go, I have, I'm I'm more slow but somehow considered in the mornings, and then more efficient and quick (laughs) in the afternoons. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So I tend to try and parcel my day like that if I can.
0: Yeah, now I'm trying to get the alarm clock to go off earlier and earlier, but uh don that snooze button. It's it's a <laughs> <there>. <laughs> no, they, they need to take the snooze button away. I think it'll help uh, humanity quite a lot. Hundred <laughs> percent. What is 100%. um? There's been a lot of software development coming up uh, over the last three years. A lot of you know our platform that we're on now is taken off. Is has there any? sort of product productivity tool that, that you've that mm. you use now that you weren't using before and how has it made mm. your life a bit easier?
1: So I, I'm gonna say something that's gonna be deeply unpopular maybe even with you but I use the yes. off button.
0: The off button. <laughs>
1: the off button. It's that's- always been there. <laughs> oh no, yeah. No. No, so I I've just finished reading a book. This is I'm not earning any royalties from these guys, but um it's called Stolen Focus. Mm-hmm um, by a gentleman by the name of Johan Hari, who I'm a big fan of. And he's written this book, which I completely devoured over Christmas. And it really is about, if you really want to deeply focus on something, if you really deeply want to engage with a subject or you want to do something really complicated, write a strategy document or whatever it is, This every single time you get a WhatsApp, every single time your email goes sploying whilst you're in the middle of that, it's going to take you 20 minutes to get back that level of, depth of focus so if i'm doing something that's really important or really urgent or requires a deep amount of thinking i switch everything else off
0: mm. yeah that's, that's the only way that is that is the yeah i mean that's, that's a it's
1: a productivity tool let me tell you
0: the off no no <laughs> the it's off great button. you do you do need to focus and i think everybody just expects uh nowadays expects uh, instant answers all the time. But if you're in the middle, you know, they have to understand that in order for you to respond to to them correctly, you need to to focus on on the task at hand for them. And, you know, you may be working on another, something else for somebody else, and they just need to wait wait their turn, I suppose. And that's what the, off 100%. the person does. No, yeah. but also,
1: sometimes, let's be honest, the, the desire to respond is ours. It's not the expectation. If you respond a couple of hours later, most people... Don't I mean I was I was off the grid for four days now over Christmas. No cell phone reception, no Wi-Fi, nothing. And when I came back to civilization, my WhatsApp box exploded. Mm. But there was there was nothing in there that me not responding had caused a calamity or mm. you know. It's just it's us that feel this desire to constantly respond to things. And our ability to Absorb information, and our ability to compute and think hasn't sped up, even though the amount of information that's out there now has. Yeah. Um, and so you just you create this l- low-grade anxiety if you constantly feel like you have to read this this news headline and that WhatsApp and this Facebook post and that tweet. You know, it's crazy. So it's, I'm telling you, off, the off button. It's a it's a magic. It's a it's a well, best invention ever. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, there's certainly a new, uh, a new travel trend, which is the digital detox. So 100%. You know, it's, it's, yeah, fi- finding ways, um, finding ways to, to completely switch off. It's, it's tough, I think, for a lot of, a lot of people, um, especially entrepreneurs like myself. You know, you always feel like you have to be on top of everything, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, that, that's, I mean, a- if you
1: think back, if you think back to before the internet, the way that you, remained informed is that you bought the newspaper in the morning. Mm, yeah. And then you got your newspaper in the morning and you read it from cover to cover and then you put it away and then you were fine until you got the news again the next morning. And if yeah. you're really burning to hear about something in between, you put on the radio and you waited until it was the hour and then you could get the news. Yeah. You know? So. I oh, mean, yeah. Just...
0: It's, it's interesting. Because, yeah, I've spoken to a lot of people about productivity tools and you are unique in saying the off button. So that's. <laughs> that's, that's really... <laughs> Definitely something I, I will try. Definitely something I will try. Just
1: like allocate time for things. So, I mean, that's what been a big – the newspaper example has been great for me because now in the mornings when I come, you know, have my cup of coffee, then I gun up all the different news portals and I read all the things that are interesting to me and then I close it off and then I don't have any news notifications on my phone because I know there's people around me that will let me know if there's anything going on. Yeah. Um, and then I can get on with my day.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's great. I think definitely a balance and I think it's, it's important. I think a lot of people, uh, as I think you, you kind of said, it's it, the, the stress that people feel is self-inflicted in a lot of ways, um, you know, so. And it doesn't
1: make you more productive just because everything is on, doesn't make you more productive. No. Then you're just no. the headless chicken.
0: Exactly. Running around in circles, but accomplishing nothing. Yeah. So. Yes. Interesting. So the industry's been through a lot, the whole planet's been through a lot in the last three years, particularly with remote working as one example. What do you think will be the main and kind of lasting change that happened to the industry? What do you think will be the the one thing that, that carries forward now without question, without going back um to to the way it was in the tourism industry?
1: Look, I would I would like to say that the world has hopefully learned that travel bans have no impact on a pandemic. Um, I'd like to think that the world has learned that. Um, and then that, that that will benefit the, the industry sustainably and into the future so that the next time something like this happens, and I believe that this is, you know, um, it's been coming for a while and my understanding is that there's, you know, potentially more of these kinds of things that are going to happen in the future. Um, mm-hmm. and so I'm hopeful that the, the, the industry will not be as heavily hit in the future uh, and that you allow travelers to make up their own minds on whether they want to take a risk or not. Yeah. Um, so that would be my hope. Um, but I don't know how real- realistic that is. Um, I, it's such a difficult question to answer. I saw it on the list that you sent me and I was thinking about it. And I actually, it's so difficult to say. I mean, <clears throat> when we were in the middle of the pandemic, I could have sworn that, you know, travelers certainly for a period of time in like the UK would want to continue booking with atoll bonded agents because then they knew that their money was safe and that they would, at least in the short term, not be booking through um OTAs because, you know, all your money's not secure their you know cancellation policies were quite rough during the pandemic um and that has i mean people clearly have substantially shorter memories than i had given them credit for Mm -hmm. because it does seem as if certainly subjectively from what i'm hearing at the moment it does seem as if um that that was a short-lived situation with the traditional channel um and that we're actually back to to um where we were before the pandemic, which is that people just um, book, you know, they consume things, whether it's shoes or holidays, they consume it where they like to consume it yeah. regardless of the risk. Um, so that's kind of changed. I think, yeah, I mean, having, having been around for three decades, almost already, I'm going to say that I think all things being equal, um, I don't think that that things will have changed substantially. I think, or rather, I don't think that the pandemic will have changed things substantially. I think the thing that has changed sub, changed the world substantially is how the Gen Zs and the new Gen Alphas think and how they see the world and how they consume the world. I think that will substantially impact destinations and the tourism industries in them. Um, into the future because they just see the world so differently and mm. they expect so much so, such different things from their holidays and what even constitutes fun yeah. um, you know and and so I think that that's the thing to watch if we talk about a you know change in the in the industry that's going to be long-lived I think you're our new consumer our new traveler and how they think and how they operate where they consume their information and what they even regard as information and how they exchange information and what word of mouth looks like and all of those sorts of things, that's going to change forever. The more and more these guys get the purchasing power, the more and more they are the ones that make the decisions of where holidays are going, the more destinations are going to have to keep up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously cancellation terms and hopefully they've all become a bit more lenient. And I think we learned that, uh, that lesson as well. So let's hope that that's one of the lasting things. Um, mm. So what's happening at, at Wesco now, what's the, what's the most, what, what, what is, what exciting project is, is Wesco working on? I see Cape town is booming with a whole bunch of new, new airlift coming in, especially from the U S.
1: Mm, yeah, we've got, uh, we brought four new destinations on stream for direct international airlift last year or like late last year. And of three of them are are U.S. destinations, which is very exciting. And Virgin is finally finally back. Um, And um, after a stop-start, stop-start, but they're finally here, which is fantastic. Um, The Cruise Cape Town Initiative has done incredibly well. There's going to be, I think, in total, once the season's done, I think there'll be four or five different occasions where we'll have three cruise liners simultaneously in the Cape Cape Town Cruise Terminal, which will be – there's already been two, so we've already trialed it and the, the, the guys at, at the port did incredibly well. So yeah, so I think all signs are showing that, um, certainly for Captain and the Western Cape, um, we can now talk about growth and no longer about recovery in 2023. So I think that's very exciting. Um, I think that we, we, take take that mandate very seriously. And I think that we are, so we're in the process of doing, our financial year runs from April to March. So at the end of our current fiscal cycle, busy doing the planning for the next fiscal cycle. And we we want to we want to achieve breakout growth in the province. And we, you know, the DMO at Westboro wants to contribute its piece to that. Um, and so we are, you know, completely rethinking how we work in the DMO and really sort of being bold um, and and making sure that we're, we, we do an integrated um, destination um, effort going forward. Go after the markets that make sense. Be be research-driven in terms of where our volume markets are and where our value markets are and what the distinction between the two is, um, you know, and making sure that we understand the, the job creation element of, of those markets and, and pursuing those markets that are – at the tip of the job creation pyramid rather than, you know, the ones where there isn't perhaps such a great opportunity for us. And then, as we said earlier in the podcast, just getting better at making sure that we we bring the entire ecosystem, tourism ecosystem along, in particular, the hidden gems and the really cool authentic stuff that's happening in the province out there that we really want the industry and the consumer in the world to know about because that's the stuff that makes us unique.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's good, good, really, really good to know. Westgrove is a great uh, institution, and yeah, it seems to be going from strength to strength. Uh, the particularly with uh, flights and and yeah, the, the the different things to do in the in the Western Cape. Mm. So on a as on a sort of as we come into land on the whole podcast, <laughs> um, what um, there's. Obviously, a lot of people trying to get into tourism, trying to rebuild uh, their businesses. and I'm glad you said that people are talking about growth rather than recovery we We've kind of crossed that into that now. what um what do you think someone who's wanting to get into the industry, what advice would you give the sort of motivation to succeed? um we, we probably want to say run for the hills but we won't we won't do
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't say that no we don't say <laughs> we don't that
0: say but, um, <laughs> no, so yeah for someone who's just starting out with their own business or their own idea I've met a lot of people particularly at that um event in Africa tourism leadership that we were both at in, in yeah. there were a lot of young young entrepreneurs there that that approached me after the panel discussion and wanted to pick my brain a lot of a lot of interesting things? What, what advice would you give them how to stick it out? Because it, it's tough in the first few years with a new idea.
1: So so the thing that, Graham, you perhaps underestimate, and it is my biggest piece of advice to anyone that wants to start out in the tourism industry, is travel. Just be a tourist yourself. Hmm. If your source markets are international, go there. If your source markets are domestic, travel domestically, but you cannot, you cannot have a deep understanding of this thing that you're, tr- that you're, this industry that you're trying to succeed in if you yourself have not traveled. It's, it's for me, the, one of the undervalued cornerstones of a successful consultant in a DMC or a successful entrepreneur that wants to attract international tourists or Because if you're always going to work from your own idea out rather than market in, you might miss it. You might, you might think you've got a great idea, but you're not understanding what the market is looking for that you're, that you're in. So, so my biggest advice to everyone is always where, wherever you can and to whatever budget you have the ability to do, go out there and be a tourist as well. Experience what, the reality of your source market is experience what the reality is of traveling if you're in hospitality you have to have slept in hotels otherwise how can you work in a hotel if you've never slept in one yeah how do you understand how it works if you've not slept in one and so so those are the things we at westcrow try to facilitate that sort of thing wherever we can together with our other jams partners um but yeah so that's my biggest advice my biggest advice is and that's also why frankly why i got into the industries because i enjoyed traveling myself so much that it, that's why i thought it was a cool industry is because i you know i thought traveling was fun so let me get yeah. involved in that in that side of things so that for me is is you know but that aside i think Just as words of encouragement, it is still the coolest industry around, man. Even if, even if we got, even if we got put in the naughty corner over COVID, it really is, it really is the coolest industry where you can create incredible connections with complete strangers and you can change their lives.
0: Yeah. No, no. I mean, what other
1: industry can say that?
0: Yeah, I know it's true. It's it's you know, we we underestimate, you know, even at a uh, you know, we both started out as as consultants, you know, where even just the idea or the the property you choose for a family, you know, that creates lasting memories for somebody. And 100%. Some some child in the world will remember that holiday with her family for the rest of her life. And then mm. you you had a hand in in that. You're creating, I know it's cliche and everybody uses it, but you do create people's future memories and and it is a it is a fantastic um, fantastic situation to be in, and I think that's why mm. we all stuck it out as we did. Um, mm. It's 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 it, it it does. I know there's that group, but it does get in your blood all tourism. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> so what? How does how would a business get in touch with Westgrow? What's the website address and where? So can... it's
1: very simple. So we've got so it's Westgrow.co.za. So there's no T in Grow. This Westgro. And this GRO, not GROW, yeah, Um, It's a fairly transparent website. All of our contact details are on there. Um, but um, if someone wants to get hold of me individually, my email address is Monica with a K at WESGRO.co.za. Yeah,
0: my and at Okay, perfect. All right, thanks, thanks, Monica. Thanks you for joining guys. us thanks, in our Graham. in our infant podcast. Um, and <laughs> uh, let's let's hope. It's, Thank yeah.
1: you for inviting me.
0: No problem, and let's hope that we can. Um, yeah, let's uh, we can we we'll chat again in a, in a year or so and see how things are going.
1: Mm. Exactly, exactly.
0: Cool. Okay. Thanks so much, Monica.
1: Thanks, Graham. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed the conversation, then please subscribe, leave us a great review, and even check out our Patreon page. Until next time, I'm Graeme Watson, and thanks for listening to the CUSACast.